If you've got a Bible there, just open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible there, I could be pulling your leg and you'll never know. So bring a Bible. Mark chapter 1. Verse 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Born many, many years before and he was very lucky, blessed of God to make it to the age that he did. There was so much opposition against the birth of Jesus. Uh, we read about it in the Bible. For whatever reason, there was so much opposition against the birth of this human child. Right from conception, history tells us, and the Bible tells us, there was something about this tiny little baby that was going to be different than all the other thousands and thousands of tiny babies that were born in the Middle East that year. There was something about this child that was special. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we read of Joseph finding out that Mary was pregnant and realising that I haven't been with this woman, but she's having a child. Joseph, I'm sure, in his mind, put two and two together and thought, I know how this happens and I was not a part of it. Being the man that he is, the Bible says that he decided that he would just put her aside quietly. He didn't want to shame her publicly, but he decided, I'm just going to put her to the side and get on with life and not make a big scene, but we won't be getting married. Understandable response, I would guess. But then God intervened and an angel appeared before Joseph and said, this child... Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit and this child's going to go on and do great things. In Matthew 2.16, having been unable to stop the birth of Jesus, the next plan was to kill him as an infant. We know the story of the wise men that came along to King Herod. King Herod called them in and said, where are you going? Well, we've seen the star of David. We know that the Saviour, King of the Jews, has been born down the road here. We're going to go down and see him. And Herod said, well, go down and see him, and when you're done, please come back and tell me where he is. Because I too want to go and worship this child. The wise men went, and they saw Jesus, had their time with him, and then God intervened again and said, don't go back to Herod. He's got harm in mind for this child. You need to go the other way. And Herod would have sat at home for a few days, done the maths and gone, you know what, they should be here by now. And they're not. So Herod, in a rage, declared every child two years and under 
trying to work out when was this child born. I'm going to kill every single child in the district, two years and under. And he did so. But God intervened again. And Joseph was warned in a dream by an angel, pick up your family and get out of town. Right from Jesus' very inception, it's almost like the world was against him. Everything was being thrown at him to try to stop him from achieving what it was that he was put here on earth to do. In the natural, there were two major issues going on with Jesus when he walked around. First was, of course, Herod. Herod saw Jesus as the potential king of the Jewish nation, a military leader that would raise up the Jewish people. And they were vast in numbers by this stage. There were a lot of Jews getting around. And Herod knew of the prophecies. He knew he had scribes and Pharisees that when he heard that Jesus was being born, Herod, this Roman governor, called these scribes and Pharisees and said, can you please tell me from your holy books where is this child to be born? And they told him, well, it's Bethlehem, we know, because the prophets have told us. He had access to Jewish prophecy and Jewish information. And he knew. He knew that there was this prophecy of this saviour, this king, that would come and that would liberate the Jews. But of course, he's thinking militarily. Nobody at this stage is thinking this man is going to submit himself to the point of death on a cross and throw away his life for the sake of people who don't care for him. As a matter of fact, to do that for the very people driving their nails through his hands and feet. Nobody's thinking like this at this stage. Herod's thinking this is there's going to be a military coup and the Jews are going to rise up. So I've got to kill this now. Let's kill this thing before it gets off the ground. If you go back and you look at um, ancient history, you see that it wasn't just Jewish prophecies, but the Romans, uh, Tacitus and Suetonius, two Roman historians who documents have been found, uh, they both record in their histories that there was a rumour going around Rome that one day there would be this ruler of the world that would raise up out of the Jewish people. This is non-scripture. This is Jew, uh, uh, Roman historians who are writing about this. So they knew, the Romans knew that there was something going on, something was going to rise up out of the Jewish people. But the thought was it was going to be a military thing. So let's kill this military thing right at the start. Let's nip it in the backside. And then, of course, God intervened. And Jesus made it through that. Then he begins his public ministry. And then all of a sudden it's his own people. It's the Jewish people, the leaders of the Jewish nation. Now they were in a tricky situation, these scribes and Pharisees, because they had brokered a bit of a deal with the Romans. They were allowed to take care of Jewish religious affairs without Roman intervention. They could discipline, they could deal with people. They were not given permission to kill, to, to nail to a cross. That had to come from Rome itself. But they were given permission to deal in their own religious affairs. And so they walked this fine line of going, we have a certain amount of prestige and position here with the Romans, even though we're not Romans, and we don't want to rock that apple cart by allowing any Jewish person to rise up and cause a massive disruption to our way of life. Jesus was a massive disruption to their way of life. Jesus didn't mind getting in their faces and going, you know what, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
You worry about this, 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 your tithe, mint, rue, cumin and olive and everything like that, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, grace, all this stuff. Jesus was a massive thorn in the side of the religious leaders of the day. So the religious leaders, his own people, the Jewish people, were on side to try to kill him as well. From the minute he was born, he was being chased after with a knife. And the funny thing is, the reason he was born was to die. He was born so that he could die. But God made sure that it was on his terms and in his way and in his purpose. And they chased after Jesus. But you know what? There was a greater power behind all of that. There was a motivation that was not natural. There was something behind Herod's fear and Herod's decision to kill all these children. And it wasn't God. There was something behind the Jewish leaders and their fear and their desire to silence the Son of God. And it wasn't God. There was a voice that quickly latched onto Joseph's ear and said, divorce the woman. It wasn't God. It was the devil. It was the devil. The devil was afraid of Jesus. The devil was afraid of what Jesus was here to achieve. And that was to take back authority. To take authority back. And to give authority back to its rightful place, to God's people. It was a battle about authority. We go right back to the Garden of Eden and we see this fantastic picture of God creating the heavens and the earth and then he creates trees and mountains and lakes and streams and and all this wonderful magical stuff. It's beautiful. The picture's beautiful. And then we hear of him coming down in the cool of the day and walking with mankind. And when he made man, he gave them authority on this earth. He said, I've created everything and now I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to give you the authority, tend it, look after this planet, populate the earth. I give you authority. I give you authority on planet Earth. And then one day a snake comes slithering through and challenges that authority and says, well, did God really say, yeah, well, God said we can't eat of that tree. And the devil goes, well... Let me give you a little piece of information. In other words, God might told you this much, I'm going to give you a little bit more. And whoever you bow your knee to becomes your God. That's the principle of life. Whatever you you submit to in life becomes God to you. And they chose in that moment, the Bible says, to submit to the devil. And in doing so spiritually, they handed authority over to him and they lost authority. Now God remains the ultimate authority and we see all through the Old Testament this strand of God and he makes sure that he stays involved in human history. He makes sure that while history and people do whatever they want, he makes sure there's this thread right throughout history because he's got this plan to bring this child into the earth called Jesus. But man handed authority over to the enemy. Matter of fact, 
We go to Jesus when he first came out in his public ministry. And the devil comes to him and tempts Jesus while he's fasting 40 days. Do this, do that. And the last temptation is he takes him to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. Because by this stage, he knows what's going on. He knows what this is about. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says to him, I'll give them to you if you will what? Bow before me. In other words, you don't need to take this from me. Submit to me and I'll hand it to you. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. I'll take the hard road and I'll do it the right way. Jesus didn't turn around and say to the devil, you can't give me that, you don't have it. No, Jesus knew that mankind had handed authority over to the enemy. He knew. He turned around and he said, get behind me, Satan. And then we read towards the end of the Gospels where Jesus makes the statement in Matthew 28 after his resurrection. What does he say? All authority in heaven and earth is back where it belongs. And he delegates that authority to his church. And he says, now I want you to take that authority and I want you to continue to establish my kingdom on planet earth. I want you to continue to establish my kingdom on planet earth. When Jesus came, he declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is here. A kingdom. A kingdom is simply, when I got on the um, dictionary and you look up the word kingdom, and a kingdom is a place, a sphere or a domain controlled by a king or a queen. Where a king or a queen has control, that's a kingdom. And when Jesus came, something changed. He said, the kingdom of heaven is now here. In other words, before this, it might not have been. But as of this moment, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm declaring to the world that the kingdom of heaven is now here. That's exciting. The kingdom of heaven is at hand now. I have authority. My kingdom has started. And to my church, I want to give that authority because I want you to take that authority and I want you to go into all the world and I want you to use that authority to turn this world into the place that God wants it to be. To turn this world into the place God wants it to be. God wants you to take that authority, use that authority and turn your family into what God wants it to be. Turn your workplace into what God wants it to be. Turn your community into what God wants it to be. You know, the problem with most of us is we don't understand our authority. We don't understand the authority that we actually have. If you don't know you have something, you won't use it. My car's got this little button, and I still don't really know. It's, it's, it's an overdrive button, apparently. And if you push it, all, all that I know happens is if I push the button, a little O and a D flash up on the screen. I've got no idea what it does, um, but it's there, and apparently everyone tells me they're great to have on a car. I couldn't tell you. What it does, I just know that, 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 you know, the light comes on, but what happens, I've got no idea. So, you know what, I don't even use the button. Maybe if I knew what the button did, maybe if I understood the power behind the overdrive button, 
I might exercise the overdrive button a little bit, but I've got no idea what the overdrive button even means. As a matter of fact, I found it accidentally because I looked down at the screen one day and saw this O and a D lit up. And I'm thinking, what is that? That wasn't there before. O and a D, what does that mean? And it took me months, months to realise I bumped the button and it went off. And I looked down at the gear stick and there's a button on the gear stick and when you bump the button, the overdrive comes... I had no idea, accidentally stumbled across it, you know? And a lot of us are like that as believers. We have no idea of the authority that we have. We put up with a lot of things in our own personal world. We put up with a lot of things in our families. We put up with a lot of things in our mind, in our bodies. We put up with a lot of things in our communities. We put up with a lot of things in our churches because we don't understand the authority that we have. We don't understand that we actually have authority. We have delegated authority from God to bring his kingdom down to earth. We have authority from God to allow his kingdom to flourish, to rule and to reign on planet earth. It's authority given by God for a reason. For a reason. I have been given managerial authority in my workplace. I've been given that for a reason. Not so that I can walk around with a badge on and go, guess what, I've got authority. I've got authority. I'm the boss. I've got authority. I've been given that authority to exercise and make positive change and achieve goals and achieve purposes and achieve budgets and all the other things that retail people hate talking about at Christmas. Drives you nuts. But I've been given authority to achieve and to do. And the church has been given authority by God to achieve and to do. Not just to get excited about we have authority. Not just to read books about my authority. Not just to go to seminars about my authority. Not just to get, you know, we have been given authority for a reason, to achieve and to do something. And that something is to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on earth. When Jesus came, the whole spiritual realm shifted. The entire spiritual climate of planet earth that for decades, hundreds of years, had been shaped this particular way because of a decision that Adam and Eve made to hand authority over. It changed like that. Jesus arrived on the scene. The devil knew. He didn't understand the means. He didn't understand the tactics, whatever. But he understood something. He understood there's a reason... You know what? I've been hanging around this planet messing with people for hundreds of thousands of years and I have never seen an immaculate conception. What is going on here? Something unusual is happening. I've told this guy, but you know what? He's just had an angel visitation. What's going on here? I've I've whispered in Herod's ear and I've told him to kill all these kids two years and under and, and I'm looking around I can't see the body of this... What's going on here? An angel got in the way again. What's going on here? And time after time after time it would happen. He knew that something was going on. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died upon that cross, that temple veil was ripped in half. 
And the Spirit of God was unleashed. No longer captive. No longer just resting upon one or two people. Now available and dwelling in the hearts of anybody through faith who puts their hope in Jesus. Not just filled with the Spirit just for the sake of being filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit to do and to be. To take the kingdom of God and to bring it to bear on planet earth. That is the call of the church. That is what we are to be doing. That is why we have been given authority. That is why we have been given the gifts that we've been given. That is why we've been called to do what we do, to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet earth. The kingdom has arrived. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 7 says this, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. How amazing. Did you know that you are a son of God? And that's not male, female, that is child. You are today, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. You are a son and a daughter of the guy that created this universe that we live in. My finite pea brain can't understand that. I need a revelation from heaven to get a hold of that because up here it does not compute. Tilt, tilt, overload. But it's true. I am a son of God. And it goes on and says, if you're a son, guess what? You're a joint heir. You are an heir. Did you know that heirs and sons have access to amazing things? They have access to their father's reserves. They have access to their father's reserve. I don't live, if I'm totally honest with you, I don't live like I understand that. I let myself get pushed around. Anybody else here? I get too tired to exercise my authority. I get too distracted. I get too busy. I just get used to certain things and I just allow it to go. I just relax and embrace certain parts of my life where I go, but the kingdom of heaven has not come to bear on that yet. And I know I have authority to see it come to pass. But I just accept and lay down at times and just surrender. But I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. When I talk about this too, by the way, I'm not talking about the over-the-top, you know, I'm a child of God and heir of Christ, so I should have 10 houses and 15 cars and billion dollars in my bank account. Look, money is so... Look, we need it, yes. We need money uh, to survive, to feed our families, to, to do certain things, to have holidays. Money is important, but money is really nothing. In the eternal scheme of what is important and what Christ did for us on the cross, a couple of dollars is nothing. You know? It's all the other stuff. It's the ability to be free from sin, to walk free. It's the ability to walk free 
from guilt. The ability to break out of bad habits. The ability to live truly human. Fully human. The way that we were created to be. Not with all the barbs and the thorns and the baggage and the stuff that stops us from expressing ourselves completely. Being free. Being 100% comfortable in our own skin. I'm not there yet. And I don't know that anybody else is. I've, I've come across a few people who I thought, you're too comfortable in your skin. But you know what? It's a beautiful thing. Good on them. Power to them. Yep. Come to set us free. We're heirs. We're sons. This is good news. This is good news. And if it wasn't for the birth of Jesus, and if it wasn't for God's intervention in keeping him alive, if it wasn't for God's intervention in saying to Joseph, Joseph, don't abandon this woman. I've done this. You know what? That still would have brought an element of shame upon Joseph. Because what do you think people in the community would have thought? Joseph said, oh man, I've got nothing to do with this. But she's pretty, I know she is, but I, how do I explain it? Look, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure, mate. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine what it must have been like? And for Mary. You know? But God intervened. And God brought about this thing that we celebrate at Christmas, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. He was born so that he could die. That's almost a depressing thought. But his death was for a purpose. His death was to bring life to all of us. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And this is the good news of Christmas, that we've been brought back. We've been brought back. We are sons and we are heirs. We've been given back authority and we've been given back a mission, just like in the Garden of Eden. Here, have dominion and authority. And here's your mission. Tend the earth, subdue it, look after it, multiply, fill the earth. It was purpose. It was authority and a mission. And now, as a church, we have authority once again and we have a mission as well. Take that authority and expand the kingdom of God here on earth. You all know that passage in Matthew where where, 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 um, where Jesus says, whatever, um, uh, how does it go? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. You know that verse? Yeah. If you dig into the Greek of that, what it actually means is whatever is allowable in heaven, allow it on earth. And whatever is disallowed in heaven, disallow it on earth. You, you allow on planet earth what is allowable in heaven. And if it's not allowable in heaven, you have authority to disallow it here on planet earth. We can disallow things with the authority that God has given to us through prayer, through worship, through making right choices, through doing things because they're right, even if they don't feel like it. We exercise authority and we bring the kingdom of God to bear. So with the birth of Christ came the birth of a new kingdom, one that has continued to grow ever since that very day. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder... And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will not finish. Something happened. Something started in history when that woman conceived a child. And whatever started then, the beginning of the kingdom of God, the beginning of God's age, if you want to put it that way, coming to bear again on planet Earth, it began that day. And the Bible tells us that it will never end. It will go and go and go. And it should be expanding and expanding and expanding and getting stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger and greater and greater. And it's our job as the church to believe in that authority that we have. Jesus said, we we looked at it there in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and what does he say? Repent and believe in the good news. Repent from your sin. Turn away. Make a choice to change your life. Make a choice to bow to me. But then he says, believe. Also believe the good news. Believe it. Have faith. Have faith in the fact that there is a new age that we live in. Have faith in the fact that you have been given authority. Have faith in the fact that you have been given dominion. Have faith in that. If you don't believe in it, you will never exercise it. You will not live what you do not believe. You just won't. And if you do, it will only be for a little while until you feel tired of it. You live by your convictions. You will live by your convictions. You will not live by mine. You won't do it. Matter of fact, most of us, if we're honest, and I'll put my hand up here, I spend more of my life living by convenience, not conviction. Because sometimes it's not convenient to stand on my convictions. It's just too much hard work. I don't want to cop the flack. I'm too tired, God. I know, Father, that what's going on in my family is wrong and I should be standing my ground in authority and praying, but I had a big week and I'm so tired and I just don't want to do it. If anybody would like to leave the church because your pastor's human, go your hardest. There's plenty more humanness where that came from. We've got to be people who live by conviction, not convenience. Jesus lived by conviction. He said, if I wanted to, I could just call a legion of angels to come and take care of you. When he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood, which is physically, scientifically possible and does happen. When a human body gets a certain point of stress, blood begins to seep out of your very pores of your skin. It's, it's science, it's medicine, it happens. He must have been extremely stressed and I can understand why that's a no brainer but he knelt in the garden and he said father if there's any other possible way that we can do this I sure would appreciate it anything has anyone ever seen the old um, Steve Martin film The Man with Two Brains anyone seen that movie remember Steve, uh, Steve Martin oh it's a great film. I don't know if, actually I saw it years ago, I don't know if I should recommend it at church, but from what I can remember of it, it was fine. But there's a scene in there where his wife has passed away and he's got this big portrait picture on the wall of his wife. And he's met this other girl and he's starting to fall in love with her, but his heart is so connected to his wife that he struggles to feel like it's okay to have another relationship. 
And one day he's standing in front of this big picture and he goes, I hope this is okay with you that I'm, you know, falling in love with this other woman. If it's not, Mary, please give me a sign. Anything, just give me a sign. The whole building starts shaking. You hear this screaming. This wind blows. His hair goes everywhere. His tie's over here. The buttons are ripping off his shirt. This goes on for 30 seconds and it stops. And he stands there and goes, anything, just any sign will do. Lucky Jesus wasn't like that. Father, if there's any other thing we can do, anything, (laughs) any other sign. He sweat drops of blood and he decided he was going to live by conviction because he was convinced that he had to die so that the rest of the world could be free. And yet I will throw my conviction out the window because I'm tired. I would have loved to have played football with Jesus. I reckon he would have been tough. He would have been tough. It's the responsibility of the church, and that is us as believers, to exercise authority that we've been given. And we've got to continue to see the expansion of the kingdom. Just really practically as we finish, some ways that we do that. Firstly, by preaching the gospel. By not being afraid to declare, this is what I believe. I know that it's awkward sometimes. I know that sometimes it can be a difficult thing at school for those who are at school. It can be difficult in some workplace. I know that it can be weird and sometimes you get isolated. And stuff. But you know what? We've got to be convinced of what we believe and unashamed in that. Because every time we share that message, we are bringing a piece of the kingdom of heaven to earth. And every time we deny that message, it's almost like we're wiping the table and getting all the crumbs off. By preaching the gospel... We advance the kingdom by healing the sick. Jesus quite often would say, he would heal the sick and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have authority. We have authority over sickness. I'm not saying that every human being will always be healed. There's a mystery to it. I don't understand it all. But it doesn't change the fact that we have authority to heal the sick. Jesus has delegated that to us. And when we exercise that authority and we pray for the sick, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth. I believe even the very act of simply praying, even if I don't see you healed straight away, the very fact that in faith I'll lay hands on you, step out and pray for you, brings the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth. Healing the sick. Rebuking the enemy. Spiritual warfare. Praying over our community. Praying over our families. Praying over ourselves. Being able to, to, to uh, look at, at what Jesus said, that if what's going on right now is unacceptable in heaven, then there's a pretty good chance that it's unacceptable here on earth. So I have authority to stand against that, to pray against that, to war against that, to not allow that to be my experience or my family's experience or the human experience here on planet earth. Fourthly, by moving in the opposite spirit. We bring the kingdom of heaven to bear. By moving in the opposite spirit. You know, so often you just want to lash out with the same emotion or anger or frustration that you've been lashed with. It's human nature to just want to give it back. You get in my face, I want to get back in your face. You know, but Jesus taught us as a church to be different to that. He says, uh, you know, if, if, if your, your enemy speaks ill of you. Jesus says you should go and speak good of your enemy. 
I mean, to my natural brain, that does not compute. He says, love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you. You know, I've I've heard and seen Christians who have had the wrong thing done by them and their mentality, their attitude is, well, you'll reap what you sow. And I think, okay, I can see where you're getting that. I can see that, yeah, in life that tends to happen, but coming out of the heart of a believer because you've done me wrong, I hope you reap what you sow. I hope you get it back. I think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeding the right spirit with that attitude. I'm not feeding the right spirit. I'm not bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet earth. I'm just joining in with the spirit that's running rampant. So by acting in the opposite spirit, loving those that don't love you, blessing those who curse you, we bring the kingdom of heaven to bear. Being generous. By being generous with our time. In a world that is so selfish, in a world that is so self-centered, in a world that is so self-consumed that I have no time to help anybody else because I'm spending all my moments here helping myself. Climbing the corporate ladder, building up my financial kingdom, building up my, you know, whatever it is. And all I want is time for me, 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 me. And when we buy into that, we're not bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth. But as a church, we're called to be generous. And you know what? I do believe that means with our finances. I'll throw that in there. I'm not saying that means you've got to bring it all and chuck it to the church, but you know what? You've got friends and people you know who may this Christmas be struggling to buy presents for their kid. You might have neighbours who can't afford groceries. You know? Now, generosity doesn't have to be here in the confines of a church. It doesn't all have to be here. When we take generosity of time, finance, energy, and we... Be generous out there in the world. We are bringing the kingdom of God to bear on planet Earth and on people's lives. Prioritizing fellowship. That brings the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth because this world is such an individualistic society. When people get together, there's a power in that. And when we prioritize fellowship, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth. We're bringing to earth something that is allowable and encouraged and will happen in heaven. We have authority and power to live effectively in this new kingdom. To make right choices, to represent the kingdom of God here on earth, just like we were created to in the beginning. Just like we were created for in the Garden of Eden. A lot of water has gone under the bridge. But God is restoring. God is doing great things. And God calls us to be his instruments. He's gifted us with talent. He's gifted you with abilities. He's gifted you with opportunity. He's gifted you with uh, people around you. He's gifted you with each other. He's gifted you with spiritual gifts. He's given you authority. He's even told you what he wants you to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on planet Earth. But, not enough to know what we have. We've got to do something with it, amen? Father, we just thank you 
uh, Lord, again today for the birth of Jesus. We thank you again, uh, Father, for uh, Arise Church. And uh, Lord, I thank you for all the churches throughout this region, God, that are preaching the gospel, Father, that are doing their best to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, Lord. Father, I want to pray for each person here over the next few days, Lord, as, as Christmas comes our way, that, Lord, it would be a fantastic time God, of catching up with friends, catching up with family. Uh, Lord, I pray, uh, God, that it would be a time of healing and restoration for broken relationships. Lord, I pray it would be a time of joy. God, a time of forgiveness. Lord, a time where we can lay down old wounds and hurts and embrace each other. Lord, I pray for uh, those around us that we may know that may be struggling and doing it tough. Lord, I, I ask God that you would use us, God, as, as a solution and answer. Uh, give us opportunities, Father, to bring a little piece of the kingdom of heaven to bear on their worlds and on their lives at this time as well. Father, be with each of us as we, uh, Lord, sit down, unwrap presents, get excited about what we got, tell stories, relive happy moments, think about what we're going to return on Boxing Day. And in the midst of all of that, please, Holy Spirit, remind us of the baby Jesus who would grow to be a man, who would be crucified on a cross, so that we could come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, yes, amen, exactly right. That's it. Have a great...